Welcome to the Quadcast, a Yale Divinity School podcast series focusing on issues related to religion, culture, and politics. In this episode, Emily Judd interviews YDS alumna Pastor Gabby Kudjo Wilkes and her husband, Pastor Andrew Wilkes, who are the founding lead pastors of the Double Love Experience Church in New York City. Pastor Gabby discusses their mission to start a Jesus movement for black lives with a focus on justice. Any injustice that we are experiencing is a distortion of God's intention and not God's intention itself. Pastor Andrew shares strategies they use as millennial religious leaders to attract young people to the church. We try to deliberately have references so each generation is like, oh, this is my on ramp. And Pastor Gabby shares the benefits and challenges of leading a church as a married couple. We know just kind of when that sparkle hits one of our eye where it's like, oh, you really want to speak to this, don't you? You really want to do some ministry around this, don't you? Like, go, go, go. I can see it. Pastor Gabby and Pastor Andrew, together you founded and lead the Double Love Experience Church in Brooklyn, which was launched in 2019, right before the tragic murder of George Floyd that sparked a nationwide social movement for racial justice. How has this tragedy and the social movement that has followed, how has that shaped or impacted the mission of your ministry? Well, thank you so much for having us, Emily. It's just such a joy to be back with my alma mater. We are named after the double love commandment in scripture. Um, We use the Matthew account, uh, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. Uh, You know, this is the first commandment. Second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. So um, double love experience church. And, you know, I would say I would love for Pastor Andrew to speak to this as well. It's really interesting. Um, While there's deep lament around George Floyd being killed, that wasn't the moral awakening for us as it was for a lot of our church counterparts who were not already doing justice work. Our clock doesn't start with Mike Brown. Um, We are millennial pastors, my entire ministry. Some black unarmed person has been gunned down or killed. Uh, by vigilantes or by police. And so uh, my protest did not start with Mike Brown. Our com- commitment to justice did not start with Mike Brown. Well, the, the, the killing of uh, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, so many others is a continuation, not a commencement, as Pastor Gabby mentioned. Uh, but also um, our work as co-pastors of the Double Love Experience Church has been fundamentally committed to the liberating love-powered ministry of, of, of Jesus the Christ. And because um, the Spirit of the Lord is always calling us to preach good news to the poor, always calling us to set captives free, uh, justice is an ever-present motivation as well as North Star for how we look at Scripture, for how we engage in uh, the shared work of justice and world-making with um, colleagues in ministry, fellow congregations, uh, and ultimately uh, helps to give rise to the pastoral care that would, unbeknownst to us at the immediate moment, lead eventually to Psalms for Black Lives. Now, speaking of Psalms for Black Lives, you both co-authored this book, Psalms for Black Lives, Reflections for the Work of Liberation. And in the book, you write, quote, We are at a critical juncture for Black people across the diaspora. It may yet become a turning point 
of our nation's history. Pastor Andrew, I'm wondering, how do you see the role of religion and the responsibility of faith leaders in this critical moment? Really, really great question. Um, I think the role of religion is to make sure that folks are both alert to the causes of what um, Paul calls this present evil age to uh, what Jesus names as the weightier matters of the law, mercy, faithfulness, and justice. And not only alert to, but feel a sense of ability, a sense of anointing and activation to intervene in those root causes of injustice and to uproot them and to take part in uh, redesigning society so that we can experience abundant life. That includes things like policy advocacy, it includes things like community development, it includes things like regional planning. So we wanted those reflections to be actionable. Uh, that's been a hallmark of our approach to ministry and hopefully um, faith leaders, pastors, scholars see their shared work as not only um, proclaiming and pinpointing injustice, uh, but actually sustainably redesigning the environmental stimuli that cause injustice in the first place so we can instead have drivers of wellness, of wholeness, of peace. Who was the audience uh, that you had in mind when you when you wrote the book? That's a great question. Um, certainly individuals who were looking for devotionals. Um, both uh, Pastor Andrew and myself really value the um, individual uh, time with God, which allows you to then communally show up well in whatever community you um, root yourself in. And so um, folks who took that individual um, de development and walking with God seriously were certainly a target audience. Um, also, people who were trying to figure out, um, as Howard Thurman would say, uh, what does God have to say to those whose backs are against the wall? And so we, you know, even though we've seen so much progress uh, for African-Americans um, in America, um, there also are just a lot of things that are still um, because of our race, uh, causing black folks to hit these social barriers and these economic barriers and these wellness barriers. And so um, our desire was to remind that demographic um, that the Bible has something to say to us, too, and that uh, we're not forgotten and that anything, any injustice that we are experiencing is a distortion of God's intention and not God's intention itself. I love that. Any injustice that we're suffering is a distortion of God's intention, not God's intention itself. I love that statement. Yeah. Uh, so I mentioned that you launched the Double Love Experience in November 2019, just months before the coronavirus pandemic hit. Pastor Gabby, you were a member of the New York City Faith Leaders COVID-19 Task Force. Can you share a lesson learned from the experience of leading a budding congregation through the pandemic. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I think one of the first experiences realized for me in that moment was how much people still cling to faith leaders in times of crisis. Because in a city like New York, the churches are there, we are abundant. Um, in resource to our communities. 
but there isn't always the emotional reliance and connectivity to church um, when things are going okay. And so I think I was pleasantly surprised and shocked that um, when this, you know, catastrophe hit the globe, really, um, people began to look to faith leaders again. Pastor Andrew and myself were both appointed to this uh, task force by the mayor of New York City, which only invited 40 faith leaders across New York um, to take on this 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 level of responsibility. And it was a um, a beautiful yet deeply humbling um, reminder that um, in times of need, uh, even people who are really, really well off uh, and people who have a lot of connections and status, um, they still uh, trust in some capacity faith leaders. I, I saw one Pew Research, I think it was Pew Research survey that said in the United States, uh, religion had actually or spirituality had gone up a little bit after the pandemic because of the, the situation, the crisis. But congregations in the U.S. in general are faced with the challenge of getting young people in the pews. I noticed that in both of your sermons, you incorporate cultural references, media references, just things that, you know, uh, as a young person, I would like to say I'm a young person myself, I relate to and I find interesting, compelling, and more entertaining for sure. Um, but is that part of your strategy to engage younger generations in your ministry? Or is that just a natural result of you both being young pastors? I think it's a um, deliberate strategy to engage cross-generationally in, in ministry. And so if we're talking about the songs, which function as poems, as hymns, as liturgy for ancient Israel, it's helpful to get a sense of what serves that capacity, not only in an ecclesial or church sense, but what also are the songs that in our everyday lives convey a sense of that depth. And so it may be music from hip-hop, soul music. It could be um, older R&B, we try to deliberately have references so each generation is like, oh, this is my on-ramp, this is my cue to kind of step into this shared moment of worship, shared moment of uh, social action together. Uh, Pastor Gabby, you've said, quote, to be a millennial woman of African descent in ministry and religious studies is to be a woman who is not starting from scratch. That comment might surprise some people. What did you mean by that? You are not starting from scratch. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, it's important for me to locate myself um, in a lineage of Black women who have taken seriously the study of um, religion, um, Black women who are theologically trained, um, and Black women who have preached and who are preaching. Like Sojourner Truth was a black woman pastor if we preacher if we if we really want to like go back you know and so there are just so many um predecessors who either didn't get the right um respect or opportunity um but they lay the groundwork for how i understand myself and my work and where i fall um in that line of 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 black women who have courageously um still stay true to their calls. Um, I'm actually a third generation preacher. My mother is a baby boomer. Um, she is a theologically trained pastor, um, retired. 
she also taught religion. Um, my sister is a Gen X pastor um, who still does ministry and I'm a millennial pastor. And so um, I just think it's always important to remember that even if we get a chance to break break through some glass ceilings, which is worthy of celebration, um, we're usually not the first. I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about how your experience at Yale Divinity School how does that inform your current work? I had a phenomenal experience at Yale Divinity School. I was unique in the sense that I was already working on staff at a church as a young adult pastor. But I also, you know, uh, had to kind of go back and forth from New Haven to New York, which meant that when I got to New Haven, it took on even more meaning for me. And so I made sure to still be involved and to still, you know, go to lectures and to go to study groups and to be a student volunteer and student leader and to use my voice where I could. And as a result, it was almost like my time in the academy was impacting my time in the church and my time in the church was impacting my time at the, in the academy at the same time. And what I found at Yale Divinity School were a lot of mentors who I still to this day can, you know, pick up the phone and call or shoot an email to and ask for questions, ask my questions. Um, I found a space not only at Yale Div, but at Yale University, um, where I could, you know, get really deeply involved. I had a lot of activism in my tenure at Yale. Um, I used my voice. I pushed the envelope. Um, but then I also like I learned from these brilliant scholars who happened to be my professors, um, who then really shaped, you know, my ministry now. And so I always try to send people to Yale Divinity School. It was truly um, a life-changing experience for me. What is the greatest blessing of being a married couple and leading a church together? And then also, what's the greatest challenge? I think the greatest blessing, and Andrew and I talk about this a lot, is that we're not in this work alone. Um, so we know that, I mean, we've been together almost 20 years now, so we know each other really well, and we did not start off in ministry together, even though we've been in ministry together for 10 years. So we, um, you know, we really know each other. We know we have each other's back. Um, we know when each other is maybe a little burned out or exhausted. Um, we know just kind of when that sparkle hits one of our eye where it's like, oh, you really want to speak to this, don't you? You really want to do some ministry around this, don't you? Like, go, go, go. I can see it. And so some of the, just the translation, because co-pastor models um, can happen across the board, not only with married couples. And sometimes when you're co-leading, it gets very hard to make sure you're leaving space for the other person. And I think being married because we already worked on that, are working on that, you never fully get it. But because we are working on that um, as just loving one another as a couple, it helps to spill over. Some of the things that we that we do in our marriage in, in terms of communication helps to spill over of how we communicate um, as, as clergy and pastoring together. But I think that's also the other side of the challenge because the challenge is to make sure that um, the church work doesn't consume all of our together time and that because in theory we're always together so we could always find some reason to do church work off the clock on the clock it kind of makes the clock um a little more invisible right you and so i think that uh, a challenge that we continue to try to work at is to force ourselves to have boundaries around how much church work we're going to do um apart from the dedicated time that we've given to founding and leading this church. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me for this conversation. And um, I hope one day when I go to New York City, I can definitely come to Double Love yes, Experience. Yes, come visit us. Yes, please do. Yes, I've been following on, uh, on YouTube. 
which is great. Nice. But I'm sure it's better in person. So <laughs> hopefully I get the chance. Oh, we would love to have you yeah. come visit us. Please do.